the Underpowered Hour. On this week's show, Will and Kate drive a Series 3, or is it a Series 2? We talk about the poppy red rover sales craze. Ike whips up a batch of his famous homemade wax oil. This episode will not rust, guaranteed. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the Underpowered Hour. I'm Stephen Barris, mild-mannered television executive by day and Land Rover collector by night. You can find out more about my cars and what we're working on at thebarriscollection.com or check us out on Instagram at the Barris Collection. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Ike Goss. Thanks to everyone joining us today. I'm the bias ply to Stephen's radio, the unsynchronized crash box of podcasting, Ike Goss. I own and operate Pangolin 4x4 in Springfield, Oregon, where we live and breathe Land Rovers. Check us out online, Facebook, and Instagram at Pangolin 4x4. All right, Stephen, let's get started. All right, Ike, in the news uh, this week, I know it's becoming somewhat of a reoccurring segment, the Royal Land Rover uh, review. We maybe need to actually make it a real segment because we seem to sort of fixate on uh, the uh, you know the Royals and their Land Rovers. So this week, uh, we heard about what we'll call controversy in the Royal Land Rover uh, world. What, what was that controversy, uh, Ike? Well, uh, at the risk of sounding like a, a caddy paparazzo, uh, you know, we, I saw some, uh, some articles about uh, Kate Middleton and uh, Prince William, I believe it is. Uh, they recently drove their grandfather's series Land Rover to a drive-in movie, right? That sounds cool. That sounds that sounds charming. Sounds charming. It sounds lovely. Yep, yep. So uh, this is a Land Rover, and the uh, the registration I believe is JYV1D. I think. If, if memory mm-hmm. serves me. And it's actually a pretty famous one. There's a lot of uh, uh, pictures of this car with the Queen and Prince Philip kind of watching uh, Polo, probably, from atop this this 1966-109 station wagon. And you can see some black and white photos of it. It's uh, the classic, you know, British green, um, bronze green, excuse me, color. And uh, it has no sunsheet, assumably, for uh, making... Mm. You know, wind resistance purposes, probably. Um, at any rate, uh, I hadn't seen this Land Rover in a long time until until this uh, this news article came uh, into my feed, and I saw it. And at some point in its life, someone has blasphemously moved the headlights to the fenders and added a Series Three grille to update its appearance from series two specification and i i you know i was thinking fashion faux pas here that is heresy heresy (laughs) oh my oh my goodness i believe actually that that was uh one of the reasons uh that england uh separated uh from the uh you know and created the protestant church was so that they could uh create uh, land rovers with uh, inappropriate grills and that it wasn't considered uh a you know an act against god but of course we know that it is. It's not. Uh, it's not okay. Uh, you know, not okay. I suspect it's the entire reason that uh, that 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 his brother. What is it, Prince Harry? 
it's pro- that's probably why he moved to the United States. It could be. That could be what caused the rift in the, uh, in the royal you know, that uh, Will had sort of said, listen, I'm going to probably make this into a Series 3. And they got into a huge fight, and the only thing to do was to just completely abandon England and the monarchy. <laughs> and, you know, honestly, it doesn't feel like an overreaction to me. No. It feels I, appropriate. I it feels would, appropriate. I would do the same. I'm fully supportive of that. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does the Series 3 grill make it, uh, you know, uh, more conducive to uh, to use? I mean, there are, uh, you know, so much uh, so much more uh, plasticky, uh, you know, sort of uh, faux uh, silver chrome kind of going on on the front. Is it is it uh, is it a lower wind resistance than the, the metal grill? Certainly you can't take it off to barbecue with it anymore. And, you know, I just feel like generally a step way back in utility for eh, somewhat even argue uh, uh, not even a marginal increase in uh, aesthetics. I, I can't understand why it would happen. You know, it's the Royal family. I would assume that if they wanted a series three, when the series three came out, they could probably afford that, you know, or, or be given or gifted a series three, but no, no, no. They wanted a series three grill on their series two a Land Rover, but they... is it perhaps uh, like wearing a hat and sunglasses uh, so as not to be noticed? Uh, somebody would say, "Wait, wait, that's a Royal Series two. Well, no, wait, it couldn't be. Clearly, that's a Series three. I, I can't imagine that's the case. Um, but uh, I will say, I have an interesting grill that is it is related to the Series three grill. It is a grill that was used on Series 2As in the Icelandic market, and, mm. it, and it has the same sort of shape uh, as a Series 3 grill, the profile of the outline and the Land Rover uh, badging and so forth is more akin to the Series 3 grill, and I believe it came out in the Series 2 time period, but it is cast aluminum. I'll have to send you a picture of that. Very interesting uh, oh. Kind of so not not safe being cast aluminum to cook over. Um, that's uh, that you cannot use that as a barbecue grill. Depends. That will depends on what you. depends on what you're cooking and how you're cooking it. I suppose that's true. I suppose that's true. Anything is possible given the right combination uh, uh, of elements. And I don't know if it's uh, you know I have personally never cooked over my uh, one of my series grills, but uh, it's on my uh, it's on my list of things to do. So. Well, remind me not to eat with you when you decide to do that. Give it a go. What's the worst thing that could happen? You know, I think it's zinc poisoning, probably. You know, yeah. I mean, possibly. I mean, again, it depends on what you're cooking uh, and and how. I think so. Um, so I don't know if you've noticed, Ike, but uh, I have had this uh, deja vu uh, effect as of late, and uh, in fact, a a listener. Uh, you know, wrote us in to say, "Hey, have you noticed there is a lot of poppy red uh Land Rovers, eighty-eight inch Land Rovers, uh, for sale uh, right now on the internet, various uh, platforms. Uh, so much so that uh, I think we're calling it the poppy red Land Rover sales craze. I think it's the only way to describe it. You could you could say po- poppy poppy lips, poppy poppy licks." Yeah, at any rate. Uh, yeah, each successive week on Bring a Trailer, there has been a Poppy Red mid-2A 88 Land Rover. Uh, the first one was a station wagon. 
and I believe the second one was also a station wagon, and then the third one this week is a soft top. And so it's, uh, yeah, definitely very fascinating because these cars are, are so similar and yet they, they do differ slightly. And, uh, the, the vast, you know, or, or wild fluctuations in the, the series Land Rover market is, is definitely an evidence. The, uh, the first Land Rover I think was bid up to uh, 27.5, something like that. And it was a car that was like a daily driver and, uh, you know, had its full station wagon interior, um, a lot of cool accessories, a capstan winch and overdrive, you know, uh, correct finishes on a lot of the, the things, you know, pretty nice car, not too many shortcomings. The second car was a diesel and, um, it was missing a lot of its interior, didn't have as many uh, accessories and features. Um, I think it was bid up to maybe 40, right around 40, 40,500, something like that. Uh, so it's a substantial increase in the bidding on that second car. Totally inexplicable. I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure why someone thought that was uh, that, that was a better... Well, and if you've ever driven, uh, you know, a mid-series to uh, diesel car, you know that is uh, that's really the one that you want uh, for sure. If given the option, uh, do you think it's potentially just uh, all those folks that missed out on the first one? Uh, you know, a bidding war for the second one. The Was first it potentially one? Uh, internet investors uh, uh, driving the price up uh, GameStop style? <laughs> the the first one didn't sell. It did not meet the reserve. So, uh, you know, I think it could, it could be purchased, you know, even, even still, but the second one met the reserve and, uh, definitely not as dialed in as the first one. And the third one, which is, uh, ending in three days, that one is sort of, a you know, I would call it a, a mid nineties style restoration. It's like mm-hmm. a, a blacked out wheels, blacked out yep. cappings, you know, all the galvanized parts are painted black and it just has that kind of like, ew, 90s feel to it, I suppose. Um, it, it's it's a it seems like a nice car generally, but uh, in terms of its style, it's it's a little bit of a throwback to that that period of time. I'm not a huge fan, as you know, of the uh, painted galvanizing, uh, although uh, one of my cars has the galvanizing painted. I didn't paint it, but uh, it is uh, it is painted, and it, at some point in its life will get reversed back to the way it is uh, it is uh, supposed to be. But uh, yeah, all too often, um, you know, people take the time to take the galve off and paint it when you've, you, you've, you're all the way there. You could just have it galvanized and you're ready to go. You know, you've, you've done all the hard work of taking car apart and all that sort of stuff. Um, it, you know, some people, I guess, just overspray it, I suppose. But, uh, but to do a good job of painting it, and I've certainly seen cars that have an immaculate paint job on all of the galvanized pieces. And it is, uh, it is, it is, a, little, uh, it is a little frustrating. Uh, nothing as frustrating as people who then spray paint the galvanizing silver in order to, uh, you know, sort of give it a hundred foot you know sense that maybe that car is galvanized properly but then you get up close and you realize it's just been it's just been spray painted silver it's just been spray painted with hammerite spray paint um the, yeah this particular car that's for sale now uh it, it's uh it's kind of of that ilk it looks like it's had a very thorough uh job of painting the galvanizing you know the grill is galvanized the the fuel cap surround all these things are 
um, all these things have been painted black on it. And yeah. uh, this one's already up to 26.5. So it's uh, it's not far off of the, the first car, which had a fully restored hardtop, all these accessories. So, uh, Stephen, what do you think it is about some of these cars that uh, is is appealing to buyers? Well, I think that there are a huge amount of folks who are in a position now to be able to get a classic vehicle. I think that the market for series Land Rovers of, you know, I guess kind of any uh, level of restoration uh, is... I don't want to say it's flooded, but it's full. There's lots of product out there. You can buy a series Land Rover today if you'd like. Um, and I don't know. I mean, red seems to be the color of the week. It, it sort of goes in runs. I saw a bunch of uh, of pastel green ones uh, not that long ago that it seems maybe what it is is, you know, you see a classic uh, Land Rover on Bring a Trailer that uh, is getting bid on and you're like, you know what? I have a red classic Land Rover that I could sell on Bring a Trailer, and that simply perpetuates. So who knows what next week's red series Land Rover will be uh, on uh, on Bring a Trailer, but uh, but maybe that's what it is. People uh, realize uh, that there's, uh, there's a market to sell them. Uh, it's a good time, maybe. I'm not sure. Well, I guess my question is more specifically geared towards these, these cars that ostensibly aren't as good as another one but maybe bring more money you know this car that's for sale now it has some like i would call them amateur repairs to the footwell for example it's got like you know big obvious welds and patches and then it's sprayed over with like a, a bunch of shiny paint um you know this car is is already bid up within a thousand dollars of a car that is uh, you know, has a lot more to it, a lot more features, a lot more. It has a fully restored hardtop, a winch, uh, overdrive, uh, on and on and on. Um, a full interior, you know, this car is pretty bare bones. It has a sort of a, you know, X more interior and a top, you know, it's a soft top, a lot less substantial vehicle. Um, I'm always interested to to know like what motivates people to to bid a car like this up more than a car which you know to my eye is is a much stronger example well i think it it a lot of it is the idea of something that looks good that looks sort of like the picture that someone has in their mind versus something that is correct and as you and i know uh getting something correct is 19 times more difficult and sometimes more expensive than just kind of making it look okay and i think for a lot of uh folks that you know looking okay is enough and uh if it looks newish it's okay and you know if you're new to buying a, a land rover looking for the you know knowing where the bodies are usually buried on a on a bad restoration is something you kind of unfortunately sometimes you learn by buying a bad land rover and putting your foot through the uh you know through the uh the sidewall or something somewhere and you know it, it sort of ends up being something that uh you know hopefully people will buy it and enjoy it but uh you know maybe they'll buy it and say oh geez i wish i you know i wish i would have looked around a little bit more i don't know if those are cars that people don't end up keeping forever i feel like a car that's super original and is uh either 
you know, restored immaculately or is kept in sort of a sympathetic, uh, you know, sort of way, those are the ones that people kind of hang on to that they have in the family that they, they don't sell until they die. Whereas the ones that are, you know, sort of quick restoed to make it look good in a parking lot are the ones that people sort of get tired of and they move it along and, and whatever, you know, and, and they're sort of in and out of it. So I don't know why that is. And I think that's not just Land Rovers. I think that's just, just classic cars in general. I think if you've got one and you understand the history, you understand the value of the car being totally original, it, it makes a deeper imprint than, than if, you know, it was just something that you, you know, sort of picked up and it had already been done and, and whatever. Yeah, no, I, I can agree with that. You know, I think uh, the best cars, you know, the top of the heap, you know, top 1%, those vehicles don't typically change hands on the internet. Those are being traded between friends and relatives and these sorts of things. Um, they're a really special car, either a, a nice original that's been well-kept or a car that's been restored to a very high standard. You know, those cars aren't really trading hands on places like Bring a Trailer. You're absolutely right. You know, uh, some of the cars I feel like that turn up on Bring a Trailer are these sort of quick restorations. And, uh, you know, I want, I think one of the things about Bring a Trailer is... Um, you know, people get the impression that these cars are vetted because right. there's a, a comment section and people comment on them. But uh, I think that the level of comments in the bring a trailer section doesn't always reflect a high, you know, knowledge or, or strong knowledge of the, the vehicles. You know, there's a lot of uh, cheerleading, you know, yeah, uh, sort of sort of the oh, you know, this is a great value, you know, and I think there's people who, you know, they have a Porsche 911 or they have a Land Rover, they have whatever, and they're just trying to cheerlead to sort of build up the pricing on the cars, you know, which helps their own, the value of their own vehicle because they can say, oh, look, the car just like mine sold for this much money. And you have, you know, 10 guys in the comment section cheerleading the bidding on a car, which is mm, lackluster, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, they have uh, something in their own garage that uh, they can later try and sell and say, oh, mine's even better than this one that sold for this uh, this very strong price. Well, and I think that's the thing. If you're into collecting cars as an investment, you know, some people own AT&T stock and take that 7% dividend. Some people own uh, vintage cars and uh, drive them around uh, on the weekend, uh, but they don't keep them for uh, decades and decades. They don't hand them down generationally. You'll find people that have very high-end uh, exotic uh, sports cars and certainly have more than one are often doing that they're investing in them because they're at least a stable asset or in you know obviously you hope they're an appreciating asset and so you buy the lamborghini you buy the whatever and it's interesting because i know you know several people with collections like that and inexplicably they have a land rover in there that is one of these that was sort of you know uh, it was restored and it looks fine and if you don't get too close to it or you don't know that it's actually a series 2a with a series 3 grill prince william um you know that that you would be impressed with that car what a neat old sort of uh, is that a what is that is that a jeep is that a oh it's a land rover it's a you know it's sort of a thing and those cars are very transient through those collections you see them sort of come and go because i think it's a neat car to have and if you're also buying lamborghinis or ferraris or what have you it usually people who deal in those cars like a land rover kind of you know swims through that lake at some point and somebody picks it up and it 
gets traded amongst those people for a little while. I've certainly seen that. I've I've had friends who've said, can you come over and tell me why the transmission on this car isn't working? And I've said, it's because it's not synchronized. Um, that's how it's, this is working as it as it was designed to work. Um, you know, and so I think it's a little bit of, and then people get frustrated. They don't drive them. And then they said, I've had this Land Rover, you know, kicking around forever. Uh, I'm going to sell it. And I, and I think that's because they don't approach it from an enthusiast thing. They approach it from a, a collectible thing, which it is, and that's fine. But yeah, it's just a different, uh, a slightly different layer of the community, I think. You, you know, you're right. You see those, uh, those I'm going to call them indoor car lots, you know, yes. classic cars. Every single one has a checkerboard floor on it, you know. Yep. There's a there's a Land Rover that passes through those sorts of uh, establishments on a fairly regular basis, and I think this this car that's listed is is representative of that ilk. You know, somebody had it and liked it enough to invest some money into making it cosmetically better, but uh, maybe didn't care enough to try and get it right. Well, and I think you take it to the kind of restorer that you've probably worked with on your vintage Porsche, your vintage German cars, your vintage Italian cars, whatever, right? And they are going to do the internet's worth of research. And to be fair, probably have an aesthetic that is a little different than the truly original, you know, factory correct air quotes, uh, Land Rover. And so they're going to do things that someone who is well acquainted with the brand, well acquainted with the history of the cars, isn't going to do, right? They're going to galvanize things black or whatever because to them undercoating oh everything. my goodness and Which, like what a perfect segue almost like we go over this show before we start recording into uh a topic that both you and i love uh to talk about because we are uh, probably deeply flawed individuals that need to really be interested in more things but uh corrosion uh, protection on especially a Land Rover, as you have a number of different types of corrosion, the plain old corrosion caused by moisture, water, road salt, etc., uh, and then dissimilar metal uh, corrosion, uh, galvanic corrosion as well. Um, really, the Land Rover offers you corrosion in almost every flavor, mildew and, and, and molds and things in the uh, fabrics as well. So really, every kind of a way that a car can corrode slash get old and crusty and moldy uh the land rover is the perfect host uh for for such activities well speaking as an old and crusty and moldy person i uh i've definitely have my share of uh corrosion prevention experience uh i don't know if you know this but i'm originally from the salt belt indiana to be specific and uh those roads back there are heavily salted uh, 10 months of the year yep. something like yep. that and uh, when I got my first Land Rover, I had uh, definitely a crash course in trying to prevent it from dissolving. Yes, exactly. And, yeah. And, we, of and, course, in Canada have uh, salt and gravel. So there isn't anyone in Canada without a cracked windshield for at least, uh, you know, nine, ten months out of the year uh, because there's always a truck in front of you spraying gravel at your windshield. <laughs> I still have a couple little little uh, dicks in the Defender's windshield from uh, rocks that I've caught uh, when it was uh, up with me in um, in Canada. So, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly a, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. So when I when I got my first Land Rover, I was uh, I was pretty young. I was seventeen, 
And uh, I was talking to other Land Rover enthusiasts about how to prevent corrosion. And uh, one of the guys I talked to is this kind of old timer uh, out in Vermont, another, uh, you know, famously, there it is, uh, Mm -hmm. rusty part of the country. And uh, he suggested that I take all of the springs off and dump them in a tank of used motor oil. And at the time I was in uh, high school and I was like... um, I don't have a tank of used motor oil. And he was flabbergasted. He was like, why wouldn't you have that? You know? Uh, And uh, then he also suggested that he had his own, you know, corrosion prevention formula, which he applied to his Land Rover twice seasonally. Mm. Um, And his formula was to take chainsaw bar oil and, and heat it on a hot plate. And then dissolve wax toilet rings into the chainsaw bar oil and then put put the mixture into a sprayer and then pump spray the entire chassis inside and out. And this was his way of, of uh, corrosion prevention. He was like, oh, it's even better than wax oil, the commonly available you yes. know, corrosion prevention product. And, and that was his method for, you know... Uh, keeping his Land Rover from rusting. That is uh, that is certainly novel. Um, you know, I don't think if you've owned a Land Rover, been allow- around Land Rovers for any amount of time, you definitely run into wax oil. Uh, the uh, you know, I, I don't know how big of a fan you are of the uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation series, but uh, the episode where Tasha Yar is killed by a wax oil monster is one of my uh, is one of my favorites. And uh, how I feel anytime I need to change a suspension component on a wax oiled Land Rover because it uh, <laughs> it it tries to consume you and gets literally everywhere. And you it's are you are rubbing it from behind you know ears and things for days for like you've taken several shots hours but it's totally waterproof so you can't once it's on you it it bonds at a cellular level with your skin and uh you can't you can't get that shit off it is no. it is the worst uh and now it does i mean it does work in <laughs> in the you know one of my early efforts at corrosion prevention on a land river was using a product called por15 mm-hmm. which also bonds to your skin at a cellular level and uh, cannot be removed uh, and uh, unfortunately, one time I, I sat on the the paint can lid, which had some of the product attached to it, and I had a black spot on my ass for about six months. Yeah, that um, will happen. That uh, <laughs> it's not a birthmark. It's uh, it's a corrosion resistant material. Now, one thing that that, that you and I love to uh, talk about is uh, fasteners, and I think the probably the number one most rusty thing on the world's most rusty vehicle is the fasteners. Like the funny thing is, is all the Land Rover advertisement, especially of series Land Rover is like the body is aluminum, so it will never rust. Rust but proof. Every, but everything proof else alloy, yes. is incredibly rusty. So it's, but the fasteners that we use will rust before it leaves the factory. Um, so what do what do you do, Ike? Uh, and of course, I know the answer to this question. But uh, but uh, rhetorically speaking, what what is the correct way uh, to rust proof a set of fasteners? Let's say you've got all of your fasteners in a margarine container uh, and they're ready to go back on your newly restored Land Rover. Uh, what do you do? 
Do you just uh, do you do you tumble them and throw them back in there? Uh, I've heard uh, there's a number of people that do gun blacking, uh, steel bluing, uh, to get them to uh, to sort of be rust uh, preventing. What's the what is the what is the uh, what is the correct uh, way to uh, do that? If you were to do a factory grade restoration on those bolts. Well, it, you know, factory grade means to me at least means original, and uh, that original coating is called sheridizing. It's that sort of dull gray finish, and it's actually pretty durable. That uh, process was developed by, uh, you know, I'm going to forget his first name, but uh, John Mr. Sherid. Sher- yeah, it is. It is John <laughs> Sherid, and it, and his wife actually helped him invent a number of uh, things uh, it, during World War Two, I mm-hmm. believe. Um, for radio communications so uh, kind of an interesting scientific power couple and uh she was uh uh really involved in his research and and uh very helpful and came up with a lot of developments herself anyway that's another story for another day but uh sheridizing um is a fascinating coding it's uh Basically, the process is similar to galvanizing. In fact, it's called vapor galvanizing. And and basically what happens is the, the fasteners or small parts are put into a drum and the drum is heated to a point where the zinc powder that's also introduced to the drum turns into a vapor and it deposits a very thin coating onto the fasteners. And this allows a, a very durable... Um, uh, corrosion resistant coating that's also very thin and that so it is amazing and so like a lot of things land rover the corrosion prevention and coatings you know sort of disappeared over time so like the the, the original land rover prototypes you know the first 50 cars those had a galvanized chassis right and they had sheridized fasteners and aluminum fittings and you know they were relatively corrosion proof you know by the standards of the day and then you know obviously you have value engineering happening at every successive model and so when the prototypes were done and they did the production models they say oh we got too much rejection for the galvanized chassis we're going to just do painted steel chassis that are painted silver. So people got the impression that they were galvanized, even though they weren't. So the first production models already value engineered to not have a galvanized chassis. Then the They did two- the trick where you just painted silver and it, people yeah. think it's galvanized. Yeah, Land Rover was the first one to do that. And then the, the Series 2 comes out and they, they say, oh, well, we're not going to galvanize the door frames anymore, you know. Because uh, that's too expensive. There's too much rejection, whatever. So all of a sudden you have a chassis that's not galvanized, doors that aren't, aren't galvanized. And then you you get to the Defender and it's just nothing's galvanized. The cappings no. are painted. You know, the, the fasteners are not sheridized. They're just cadmium plated, you know, at each successive step. And this this finally culminated in a lawsuit. You know, Land Rover was, was sued for their lack of corrosion prevention techniques. They were basically assembling panels with no coatings in between, and it was rapidly corroding in parts of the the world where, you know, it's humid or salty. And so they had a class action lawsuit. I want to say it was in the late 90s. Does that sound Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Late 90s. And so I think that's changing, you know, that 
the Puma came out and then they started, I believe, galvanizing the door frames again. Yep. And, you know, they uh, are progressively getting back on the corrosion prevention bandwagon. Well, and famously that famous, there it is. The, uh, the TDCI <laughs> uh, Defender, the Puma, has all kinds of different panel glues that they're engaged in at that point. And, you know, those doors are put together quite a bit differently. They're glued together differently than the kind of almost glued together kind of like a modern, uh, you know, Land Rover was at the time. Um, you know, they were making the new Discovery at that point, which the car is glued together it's glued and riveted um you know there's almost no welding in uh, you know both the discovery 5 and the new defenders things like that they're all glued and riveted um and the rivets are really just there to let the glue dry uh, which is kind of interesting and so the the very last run of defender doors uh, were sort of similar rear doors and and side doors were were sort of similar where they were were sort of glued uh together and that is very uh corrosion resistant as long as it's done properly if of course there's gaps for to corrosion to get in i my, the back door on my Defender is, is famously uh, also full of it, water got in at, during the sealing process at some point, and it has just eaten its way out over the course of two decades, uh, three decades. So it's, uh, you know. Well, I think you, you uh, fundamentally, with respect to old Land Rovers, you know, you have two schools of thought when it comes to corrosion prevention. One is to, to create a barrier between you know, the elements and the chassis by, you know, some sort of undercoating or some sort of goop or, or junk that you apply to the bottom of the car to prevent stone chips and, you yeah. know, these sorts of things. I am not in that school of thought, you know, um, I kind of am in the second group, which is just keep everything clean and washed and uh, make sure that it has no salt on it. Yeah. So make sure that the, the the dissimilar metals are isolated from one another, but make it easy to clean. You know, one of my issues with the undercoating products is, one, that it creates a lot of texture on mm -hmm. the underneath of the car, which attracts more dirt and debris. And the other thing is it breaks down over time. I'm sure you've seen some ex-military Land Rovers where the undercoating, the bitumen undercoating, mm -hmm. has uh, cracked and peeled away from the chassis, allowing water and moisture and debris to be trapped up against the chassis for long periods of time, which is not good for it. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all in the, uh, let's keep it cleaned and lightly oiled. And that's, that's, you know, my, uh, my methodology when it comes to old Land Rovers, I use a product called fluid film, which mm -hmm. is lanolin based. It's a little yep. more environmentally friendly than the, uh, chainsaw bar oil, toilet wax <laughs> ring combination. <laughs> The of 2000 flushes blue uh, yeah. of, uh, of uh, rust prevention. Yeah, but uh, nothing more than I like seeing than a, just a, a, a beautifully clean chassis, smooth, yeah. nothing for stuff to stick to, you know, with some light oil on it. And that's uh, that's my go to. Or to simply truck bedded liner the car inside and out. Just <laughs> run it through a truck bed liner place with all the doors open and call it a day. That's popular. That's yeah, popular. If, if sure you want, is. if you want your vehicle to have the the consistency and finish of an old lady's thighs, then by all means, 
bedliner the outside and inside of your car. Just bedliner everything, you know. It is the ultimate product. Uh, it's, uh, you know, tough and uh, super abrasive. If you accidentally rub your uh, bare skin against it, it's just perfect. There's really nothing nothing better. I'll tell you, it works really good in truck beds, and that's... That's sort of where my, uh, you know, where my use of truck bed liner ends. But hey, you know, actually that's not true. You know, I do have the tool mounts for the hood of the Defender uh, are are painted with truck bed liner. So well, I'll forgive I'm that you guy. Just this once. I'm that guy. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know. So. Well, I have had a great time chatting with you this week. Um, looking forward to next week, and also, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have some content on our Patreon coming oh, up real soon. We have got. Patreon content in the works, the likes of which the Land Rover community has never seen uh, before uh, because it's largely uh, stupid. But uh, in addition, <laughs> in addition to uh, what is sure to be uh, some of the most famously uh, Land Rover uh, Patreon content, we also have some merch now. So if you do sign up to be a patron um, of, uh, of our kingdom, uh, you will uh, gain not only access to uh, a sticker, uh, potentially a mug that you can drink things out of or keep pens in or put it under a, an oil drip or something if you wanted. Uh, but I think ultimately the uh, Land Rover uh, underpowered hour t-shirt, which I think is yes. just, I mean, who doesn't love a t-shirt, right? We're also going to, uh, as part of our Patreon uh, deal, uh, we're going to do a live stream. So you'll be able to uh, endure uh, in a live fashion, Ike and I uh, doing something uh, similar to this, maybe different. I don't know. It'll be live. Anything could happen. Wardrobe malfunctions, vehicle malfunctions, uh, you know, general General malfunctions. Uh, anything you uh, you could ever want uh, in the world of us not being uh, particularly good uh, at any of this. Um, Mechanical and mental breakdowns. The whole thing. Uh, all together in one place. So head on over to the Patreon. Check that out. Ike, as always, it's been a pleasure, and I will talk to you next week. All right. Looking forward to it. The Underpowered Hour is produced by me, Steve Barris, and Ike Goss. Consider supporting the show through our Patreon, and when you do, you'll be given access to exclusive content and Underpowered Hour merch. Want even more Underpowered Hour? Check out our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. 